You're listening to a podcast of The River in Durant, Oklahoma. Join us Sundays at 10 a.m. or Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Or learn more about us online at theriverdurant.com. All scripture is given by inspiration, is inspired by God, and is given by inspiration for instruction in righteousness and so forth. Didn't say, didn't say it'd make you righteous. It's for instruction in your righteousness. Amen. I hope this church understands how you, how you get righteous. You're made righteous one way, by faith in Jesus and what he did. You're not made righteous by how you perform. You're made righteous by faith. Praise God. The Bible settles this. And we go over this pretty often here because I understand the tendency. In fact, uh, Pastor Israel and I were talking about this yesterday, how we all have a tendency to kind of slide back into legalism. We have a tendency to slide back, and we have to keep hearing it over and over to keep our faith engaged. And it didn't say that faith comes by having heard. It said faith comes by hearing and hearing. <laughs> and, the, and the tenor of that text is repetitive hearing. Hearing by the Word of God. But I want to read this text to you, a little bit of it. I'm not going to read the entire thing because it is lengthy, all right? But it is the story of David killing Goliath. It's one of my favorite stories in the Bible. And I rarely get through any sermons without talking about David or Abraham. Because I think they best tell us about Jesus in the Old Testament. There are a number of types and shadows about Jesus, no question. Isaac is a great type and shadow of Jesus. But Abraham and David are the big ones of the Old Testament. And proof of this is in Matthew chapter 1. Would you just put Matthew 1, 1 up there? You don't have to turn there, but I'm going to get it on the board. Matthew 1, 1. The opening of the New Testament, the opening of the, the writing of the New Covenant. Matthew 1, 1 says, The book of the generation of Jesus Christ. Look, look at the two other names there. The son of David, the son of Abraham. That tells you what the New Covenant is about. It's a sort of preamble and a bit of an outline. And let me explain. The New Covenant is all about Jesus and what he did. But notice these other two names. Well, he's also the son of a lot of guys. He's the son of Isaac. He's the son of Jacob. He's the son of, you could, you could name a list of them that he's the son of. But why did it pick these two out? Because David represents the kingdom. Yeah. The, this day, Jews do not wear the star of Solomon, even though his kingdom was larger and more powerful than David's. They did not recognize Solomon like they recognized David, the great king. They considered David the king forever because God told David, I'm going to make sure that one of your descendants is sitting on the throne, the throne of David, forever. Now, that hasn't happened yet, but the promise went right to Jesus in Luke chapter 2. That was promised through prophetic utterance, and it was told that Jesus would sit on, that God would give him the, 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 the throne of his father, David. That hasn't happened yet, but that's going to happen one day. All right, but it hasn't happened yet. He has the throne of glory, but he hasn't got the, the throne of David just yet, but he will. The book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the kingdom. And David's name means beloved. Oh, so that tells you about this kingdom. It's not a kingdom of laws, but it's a kingdom of love. A kingdom not of a citizen so much, but the kingdom of the loved ones. God has a kingdom full of not just servants and, 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 and the like, and citizens. He has a kingdom full of his own children, praise God. Yeah. The beloved. You got this? Yeah. You might love a servant, but you're not going to love a servant like you love your children. 
Beloved, the kingdom, the new covenant, this book of the generation of Jesus Christ, God has a kingdom full of children, the beloved. Amen. This thing is about a kingdom of love. The new covenant is about a kingdom of love. The second thing, the second name in there is the son of Abraham. Abraham. Now every kingdom has some sort of charter. It has some sort of constitution. It has some sort of covenant between its leadership, between its king and its people. Something. There's something written that declares what this kingdom is about. It's a sort of covenant between the rulers. We call it our constitution here in the United States. Most countries have a constitution. It tells what the, what the citizenry has and can expect and what the king and the government is, it has and can expect to do. They both have privileges and they both have responsibilities. All right? And when that name Abraham is in the preamble to the New Testament... It means, glory to God, we have a covenant of faith. Abraham is the first man that himself came into covenant with God. God made covenant with Noah, but Abraham came into covenant with God in a response by circumcising himself. God had told him, I'm going to change your name, and I'm in covenant with you. Now, I want you to keep the covenant by circumcising yourself, first man to ever do it. So Abraham represents the covenant. And what kind of covenant was it? It was a covenant based on what he believed about God, that he believed the gospel, that God was going to give a promised son who was going to be slain before the foundation of the world. Glory to God. Glory to God. So, having said that, that's one of the reasons why I wanted to predicate this message, this series of messages that we're going to, that we're going to embark into, upon, I should say, is, is called Defeating the Giants. Anybody here ever have any giants you needed to defeat? We're going to do a series of sermons, series of messages for the next several weeks. Don't miss any of them. Defeating the giants. I've had a few giants stand up and oppose me. Amen. They have. I'm here to tell you that I'm still here and they're all gone. Praise God. Praise God. Frida Lindsay, the, one of the founders of our, of our Bible college in, in Dallas, she of Christ for the nation, she said... Uh, she tells her, used to give her testimony before she went to heaven. She, she, she didn't make it all the way to 100. She only made it to 96. She was shooting for 100. She got close. And she, uh, but when she told her testimony of why this little housewife wound up running this, the, of its kind, it was the, at the time was the largest Bible, Bible college in the world of its kind, non-accredited Bible college. And, uh, and, and a lot of people didn't think she should, should have done that. They, they thought she should have turned that over to, to a man. And all through the years, there were, there were five or six big challenges, people rising up, challenging her authority, trying to take that school away from her. And she tells the story of how it happened. She said, this one did that, and that one did that, and that one undercut me, and that one stabbed me in the back, and that and that. She said, but I'm here to announce that they're all dead, yeah. <laughs> and I'm still alive. <laughs> and let me tell you, if you just walk by faith, praise God, all of your enemies will eventually die. Yeah. Amen. Amen. <laughs> They're all dead. But we're going to find out a few things here, and I want to read these few bullet points, all right? Number one, in order to successfully defeat the giants of your life, you have to learn to act immediately. Act immediately. 
Every, every challenge you get, you need to act upon it immediately. Secondly, you need to focus on the promises. Focus on the promises of God. Thirdly, recall past victories. That's why we give our testimonies. Recall your past victories. Fourthly, hold on to your confession of faith. Keep your confession. Hold on to your confession of faith. Keep saying what you believe instead of what you see. Fifth, learn to trust the anointing. Glory to God. Learn to trust the anointing. And sixth, we're going to pay no attention to what the devil says. How many of you know when you're in, in trouble, the devil talks to you sometimes louder than any other voice? Reminding you of everything that could happen, what happened to Sister Smell Fungus, and all that. Number seven, talk rough to the devil without fear. Learn to talk rough to the devil without fear. Tell him what you think of him. And number eight, act like you have already won. All right. Glory to God. Let's begin reading. 1 Samuel 17, verse 19. I'm going to be skipping quite a bit of this story because I think you know the story. Okay? The story is that the Philistines and the Israelis are out on the battlefield. And one's on one side of the, of the valley and one's on the other side, the valley of Elah or Elah. The brook Elah ran down between the two mountainsides, and one group was on one side, and one group was on the other. It says, Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. There wasn't much fighting yet. They'd had a few little skirmishes, apparently. And David rose up early in the morning and left the sheep with the keeper and took and went as Jesse had commanded him. His, his father said, I want you to take, take these cheeses and this bread and these parts corn out to your brothers and, 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 and uh, get a report from them. And he took and went as Jesse had commanded him, and he came to the trench as the host was going forth to the fight and shouted for the battle. For Israel and the Philistines had put the battle in array against army against army. And David left his carriage in the hand of the keeper of the carriages and ran into the army and came and saluted his brothers. And as he talked with them, behold, there came up the, the, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name out of the armies of the Philistines, and spake according to the same words. And David heard him. And the same words were, Send me a man to fight against me. And if I win, then we will, you will be our servants. And if you win, ha, 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 then we will be your servants. He didn't mean it at all. But he was, he was trying to get Saul to come out there and fight him, I believe, because Saul was the big, tall guy, you understand. Now, Goliath was nearly 10 feet tall. He was 9 feet 4 inches tall. You know how they knew exactly? He said it was, was six cubits, which is nine feet, and a span, the span of your hand, four inches. You know how they knew exactly how big he was? Apparently they measured him as he's lying down. I still don't know if they measured him with his head on or his head off. But they... Because <laughs> you know how the story ends. Verse 24, And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were sore afraid. And the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man? They said to David, Have you seen this man that has come up? Surely to defy Israel as he come up. And it shall be that the man that kills him, they start talking about the promises, the man that kills him 
The king will enrich him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. And David spake to the men that stood by him saying, what shall be done? Now listen, he already heard it once. He heard it once, didn't he? What was going to happen to the guy that killed the, the giant? Then he says again, and David spake to the men that stood by saying, what shall be done to the man that kills this Philistine that takes away the reproach from Israel? He asked to say, tell me one more time. And then he says, for who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? What I want you to see here is that David heard this giant the first day. The text earlier said that Goliath had been coming out there for 40 days. He had been coming out there for 40 days to taunt them. Send me a man. And David shows up out there on what is his day one, but the giant's day 40. It tells you something about why Israel wasn't being successful against this guy. And when he came up, they all fled and ran from him. Because they had listened to what he said so long, they were starting to believe him. They were starting to believe him. And if you listen to those voices long enough, let me say to you, you'll start to believe them. You believe what comes into your head. You believe what comes into your ears. And this is why God says, be careful what you hear. Be careful what you let yourself hear too much of. It's important to have an overabundance of the Word of God coming into your ears because that's where it's going to get into your heart, praise God. Let the Word of God be the primary thing you listen to. And then you'll act like David. See, David gets out there, and he hears the bully. He says, somebody ought to take him out. Somebody ought to take him out. Let me put this in, in your terms. When the first time you get that little scratch in your throat, the first time you sneeze, be real careful right there. Most of us go, mm, man, that, mm, I hope that's not that flu going around. Whoa, 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 whoa. Whoa. No. You ought to be saying, wait just a minute. This is not part of my covenant. My covenant says I'm healed by his stripes. You get away from me, you stupid devil. You get away from me. He, he, this sickness, every sickness, every size of sickness was laid on Jesus for me, praise God. Act immediately. Get started right now. David was ready right now to fight. You got to be ready right now to fight. And, and let me tell you why, one of the reasons why I think he was so ready to fight, because he had seven brothers older than him. When you've got seven big brothers, either you know how to fight or run. And apparently David didn't learn how to run. He learned how to stand and fight. Verse 27, and the people answered him after this manner saying, so shall it be done to the man that kills him. So he's heard it the second time now. And Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spake unto the men, and Eliab's anger was, was kindled against David. And he said, why did you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness saying, like, Daddy didn't even let you keep very many of them. You're just a small little shepherd. I know your pride and the naughtiness of thine heart, that thou art come down, that thou mightest see the battle, like there was a lot of bloodshed going on. Yeah. Verse 29, and David said, What have I now done? Is there not a cause? Can you see him pointing at the giant when he says this? Hey, big brother, you're not listening to this bully? Are you not hearing what he's saying? Do I not have a reason to be asking these things? What's going on here with you? 
Yeah, maybe I did want to see some bloodshed. But you hadn't had any, have you? And he turned from him to another, toward another, and spake after the same manner. And the people answered him again after the former manner. That's three times he heard what the promises were. He turned back and said, okay, now tell me one more time. I want to make sure I get this. And it says what the, what the promises were. Great wealth, the king's daughter, and free in Israel. That is, no taxes for the rest of his life. His family's house, no taxes for the rest. His ha- family's house shall be free in Israel forever. Hmm. That's a real good deal. If I could just get the government to leave me alone, I don't, want, I don't need them to give me wealth. I'll get my own if they'll just keep their hand out of my pocket. That king's daughter thing didn't work out very good either, did it? Micah wasn't all that much. <laughs> but the, tax, the free taxation thing worked out pretty good. You remember when they came to tax Jesus? They came to tax Jesus. They said, does your master pay taxes? Peter comes back in the house. Jesus said, what do they want? He said, oh. He said, tell me. Who do the children of the kingdom pay taxes to? And he said, no one. He said, who do the, the slaves pay taxes to? He said, they have to pay taxes to the, to the king. He said, then the children are free, aren't they? Peter says, yeah. He said, but so we don't offend them. Go put a hook in the water, and the first fish you catch, there'll be a gold coin in his mouth. Jesus, what are you doing here? I'll tell you what he's doing. He's refusing to use his money to pay taxes. Because he knew about the promise. He's of the house and lineage of David. Glory to God. He had the right not to pay taxes because David won that right for him a long, long time ago. And I don't care how long it's been since Jesus died and won your rights. They're still in force for you if you'll believe for them. Your rights as a believer are still in force if you'll believe for them. Use your faith, praise God. He was using his faith. He said, you just go out there and catch a fish. And you know that fish, that little fish picked up that coin off the bottom of the lake. And everybody knows, and for time immemorial it's been this way, that any money you find in public waters is your money. Somebody's got a set of my keys that I dropped in Lake Texoma a few years ago. (laughs) I never could find them. (laughs) Yeah. He sent Peter out there to get money that wasn't even his. Didn't have to counterfeit any money. Didn't have to do any of that. He just knew where there was free money. Just imagine, Jesus knew where every coin was on the bottom of Lake Galilee. On the bottom of the Sea of Galilee, Jesus knew where they all were. Yikes. That was real money back then. That wasn't this stuff we print in Fort Knox. That was real money. had real gold and silver in it. He turned and asked again. Speak the same manner, and the people answered him again after the former manner. That is, he heard it three times. So I'm going to say to you today, you need to learn to focus on the promises. Focus on the promises. Focus on the promises. 
God's people have been taught. We have all been instructed by former religious habits that we should focus on what the Bible tells us to do and what the Bible tells us not to do. Do and don't and do and don't and do and don't. Focus on that. That's what you've got to do. You've got to get over there in the Old Testament and find out what God says to, to a holy people, how they're supposed to live holy. Pardon me. I've got the Holy Ghost inside me. I'm about as holy as I can be. The Holy Spirit, the one that lived in heaven, he now lives in me. He lives in every believer, and you're just about as holy on the inside as you can ever be. Yeah. Praise God. You can't make yourself holier because the Holy Spirit lives inside you. Amen. But you focus on the promises. Focus on the promises. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 20 says, For all the promises of God in Christ Jesus are yes and amen unto the glory of God by us. What that means is when we receive the promises, God receives the glory. Yes. Out there in the world when a guy does something great, he gets all the credit and he takes all the credit. Gives all the glory to his uncle and his aunt and his mom and his dad and himself and his teachers and all that. But when you get something good going on, you start shouting, glory be to God. Thank you, Jesus. Glory be to God. God is good. Hallelujah. Amen. You give God glory when good things happen to you. And when you get the promises activated in your life, you're going to glorify God. Jesus said it like this. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, then you shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. In verse 8, that's, that's John 15, 7. And verse 8 says, Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. And that fruit there, in its context, is talking about you getting your prayers answered. Yeah. Glory to God. And God receives glory by the good stuff that happens to you. I said God receives glory by the good things that happen to you. Man, oh man. Praise God. Praise God. Ann and I were in bed one night in West Texas. And the phone rang. And I picked up the phone. And it was a young woman who had at one time been in our church. Actually, it wasn't her. It was her cousin on the phone. Is this Pastor John? This is Pastor John. Oh, 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 good. Can, can you come? Where? Get to the hospital. Well, that doesn't sound like that's where you are. She said, I'm in a car headed to the hospital. And she said, I've got Amanda with me. And Amanda wasn't her name. Sorry for the choice of that name. but <laughs> she, said, she said, I've got Amanda in the car. And, and, and she's bleeding. I said, what's wrong? She said, just meet us at the hospital. It's, it's just a terrible story. I said, okay. She said, and the police are chasing us. What? <laughs> so I get out of bed, and it's about midnight, you know, and I get out of bed and get my clothes on and go down to the hospital. And I walk in. Of course, there's police cars everywhere out there, you know, and I walk into the hospital emergency room, and I was struck because it was the first time, that this will tell you how many years ago it was, it was the first time I had ever seen, now we were in West Texas, so it was a bit remote. I, I, had, seen, I had seen power doors before that would open up if they had that strip out there that you step on. I had never seen motion detector doors. I remember that night. They had just built on a new wing to the Shannon Hospital there, the emergency room, and I walked up there and the doors opened, and I went, ooh. People are getting smarter. 
I remember looking around. I stepped into the foyer, and then the next doors opened. I, I could get used to this. <laughs> this is how I was supposed to have been treated all along. I don't know why. <laughs> Door just opened up, and I walked in there, and the police officers were in there. And I asked for Amanda, I'll call her. And they said, yeah, she's back in room six. So I went back there, and the police officers were back there, and they started sort of standing in my way. And they said, are you her pastor? I said, <sighs> yes. <laughs> yes. Because I thought about the doctors and the lawyers that were in the church. And I wanted to say, well, I'm not really her pastor. She used to come to our church. That's what I wanted to say. You know, pardon me, I'm flesh too. <laughs> I, try, I try not to be, but I, that, that crossed my mind to say that. I said, I looked him right in the eyes. I said, yes, I'm her pastor. She's my little sheep. Stupid little sheep, but she's my sheep. <laughs> and they, they said, well, she's right back there, but we need to talk to her soon. As soon as you get done, you let us know. Well, thank you, sirs. I appreciate that. So I walked on back there, and there she was. This girl had an angel face. She had a devil life, but she had an angel face. She had a terrible life. And most of it brought on by her own, by her own bad decisions. She'd gotten saved in our church and, you know, fell out again. And I still considered her saved. I, I wouldn't want it saved her, so I, I wouldn't want it turned loose ever. You understand that? Jesus held on to her. That's why the first, when she was in trouble, first person she called was her preacher. Got there and heard this terrible story. It was the anniversary of her divorce from her husband who had a new girlfriend. And she'd found out that he had a new girlfriend. And she was laying there telling me this awful story. She said, we started drinking, my cousin and I, we started, and the cousin was nowhere to be found. <laughs> she just dropped her off and left, I guess. Cousin was nowhere to be found. And uh, she said what, she, uh, what they did was they got to drive around. She said, take me by his house. Went by his house. And there sat his new car in front of his house. And he's in the house with the lights on with his new woman. And she, drinking, started acting stupid. Drinking too much, started acting stupid. And she said, let's throw rocks at his car. That'll teach him. So they got out and started chunking rocks at his car. And while she was throwing rocks at his car, he came to the door and flung a Chinese star at her and hit her right in the face. Went in and chipped some teeth, just gashed her pretty little face wide open right across there. It's the one that hadn't hit her in the neck. It's right and killed her. Yeah. And she started bleeding profusely. She'd been drinking, you know, so, I mean, she just, her blood is just thin, and she's just bleeding, and, man, it was a mess. They rushed, and that, that's when I got the call. They rushed to the hospital, and this guy goes back inside and calls the cops, and the cops are hot on her trail, and it's just a big mess. I get in there, and I'm stroking her hair and kissing her forehead, saying, it's going to be all right, sweetheart. God loves you. You're going to be okay. And then she said to Pastor John, Pastor John, I don't know why these things keep happening to me. 
I said, baby, sweetheart, I love you. I know you do. You're probably the only person in the world that still loves me. I said, no, I love you. Jesus loves you. It's okay. It's okay. But I have an answer for why these bad things keep happening to you. Let's start with the getting drunk. Yeah, I know, I shouldn't have done that. I know that, I know, I'm a Christian, I shouldn't have acted. And let's start with throwing rocks at somebody's new car. Oh, yeah, I shouldn't have done that either, I know that. I, I just kind of went through the list of all the things she had done wrong, you know. <laughs> let's start with running from the cops, you know, that's... <laughs> and I scolded her pretty good, I did, I really did. Just, just trying to help her, you know. But I, I didn't make her seem like she was going to hell. Amen. We talked a little while, and they were going to come in and sew her face up. And uh, I prayed for her, turned around, walked out, and there the police officers were standing there, you know, just to do their duty. God bless them, they were doing their duty. But I felt that night, I felt like I wanted to protect her from them, you know. And I walked past them and said, you can have her now. And I felt awful that night. It's a long story, but I'm telling you because it has a punchline to it. I walked back down there to the foyer of the, of the emergency room and just stood there and looked at that big, beautiful, new waiting room they built on. I looked outside and I saw all the tall buildings. San Angelo's a fairly large town, you know, and it, lots, of, lots of tall buildings around. And I'm just looking out there and all the cars and all the concrete and all this new mechanism her doing all she, I thought, man, man is something, isn't he? He can build all this, but he can't stop that. He can do anything. Magic doors open when you walk up to them. I'm just standing there thinking, boy, I was so disgusted with all of mankind. If you know what I mean? I mean, I was just disgusted in all of it. This is how we have to deal with people. And I walked up there, and those doors opened, and those second doors opened, and I smelled something. I smelled a skunk. And God said, man didn't make that. And it still got to you, John. I said, I hear you. I started crying and laughing, ran to my car. I, oh, hallelujah. Something God did got to me right in the midst of everything that man had done. Something God did still got through to old holler. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. And I started shouting. I had myself a little revival. I almost had two car wrecks on the way home just shouting for joy. I was, I was in such revival mode, man, I wanted to sit up for about three hours and watch Benny Hinn, you know, or something. I was having myself a time. I walked in the house. I was still rejoicing and said, what happened? What happened? I said, oh, baby. I just had a revelation. It's so awesome. Praise be to God. It doesn't matter how bad things get. God can still come through for you when you need him. Hallelujah. And she said, well, what happened? Uh, tell me the story. I said, well, well, what made you think this was so great? I said, you won't understand. Well, tell me. I said, I smelled a skunk. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Even if it's a small thing God does, he does it for your benefit to keep you focused on him, keep you focused on what he can do for you, keep you focused on his promises. Doesn't matter how big the giants are, how terrible the condition, how terrible the state, there's still a God that can get to where you are. Hallelujah. Can I have a good amen?
Verse 31, And when the words were heard which David spake, they rehearsed them before Saul, and he sent for him. That's the king. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail. Can you see this teenager out there? Let all these great warriors not be afraid. Because of him, your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. Saul said to David, you're not able to go fight against this Philistine, fight with him, for you're only a youth, and he a man of war from the time he was a youth. And David said to Saul, thy servant kept his father's sheep. And there came a lion and a bear and took a lamb out of the flock. And I went after him, I love this, and smote him and delivered him out of his mouth. And when he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and smote him and slew him. If he had been an Oklahoma rancher, he'd have said, I beat him to death. <laughs> he opened up a can. That's exactly right. I want you to know I was raised on a farm, and I know this for, for a fact. If you're on a farm for any length of time throughout your child raising like, like David was, you don't save every lamb. You don't save every, every, every baby goat. You don't save every calf. Some of them, some of them the predators get. And the larger your place, the greater the risk. You ever lost a calf to predators? Many times. You lose one now and then. And I venture to say that David lost a few. But he's not going to be talking about that. Not when he's facing his challenges. I, I know the devil must have spoken his ear. Remember that day that lamb got killed? Who do you think you are going to take on this? You, 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 you lost that one. I know that's what the devil was reminding him of, all of his losses. But that's not what David lets come out of his mouth. And let me say to you, when you're facing your big battles, don't let it come out of your mouth that you tried one time and failed. All you need to be thinking about and talking about are the times you won the battle. Yeah. Times you won the battle. Think about your victories. Repeat your victories. You're going to defeat your giants not by remembering how many times you lost, but by remembering how many times you won. Build your life on your victories. I've had a few losses, but you're not going to hear about the losses. It doesn't do any good for us to talk about the losses. I've been challenged, and, I've, and I feel like I've lost from time to time. But I don't talk about those because I'm building my faith not on my losses, but on my victories. Glory to God. That's all David would let himself talk about. You've got to keep this in your mind. Talk about your victories. I, I remember one victory that was almost a loss. When I was a college and career pastor, I uh, had a large group of college kids, pastored in a college town. We were always looking for ways to go out and minister on the streets. I've done a lot of preaching on the streets. I don't know if it shows, but I, uh, I learned to be loud preaching on the streets. <laughs> Couldn't always have a PA system, traffic and all that. You know, you just had to speak above it all. And uh, one of those, you know, those, you, you've been in the big cities where they have the crazy guy standing on the street corner yelling and could, <laughs> that was me. <laughs> that was me. I thought if I can preach to these people, I can sure enough preach to church folk. Church folk can be mean, but they're not as mean as the people out there on the streets. And, uh, you know, I was, I was training, training my, youth, my youth and college group to talk about Jesus to strangers, total strangers. 
put tracks in their hands and go out. We'd find some event. We were always trying to find some event where there were people. And we found the booster club, the football booster club's event around Halloween. It was a spook house. They had, you, know, you know how they do that? They had a spook house. You know, they got peeled grapes and, and in the dark, and they say that's eyeballs, you know, stick your hand in the eyeballs. You know how it works. Spaghetti for guts and stuff like that. And guys with painted on blood, masks and all that. And they, they, they lead people through this, this spooky place, you know, and furry arms come out of the dark and touch their, touch their neck and all that. That's what it was. It's a spooky, a haunted house. But they could only take a few through at a time. And I found about 70 or 75 people standing in a line out in front of this building, not wanting to lose their place so nobody's moving. They're going to stand right there. It doesn't matter what you start talking to them about. They're going to stand right there because they're not leaving. And it's on public property. So I have every right to be there just like they have every right to be there. But I didn't have a right to block egress is what the, what the, what the law said. So I had to go across the street over to the other sidewalk where there wasn't anybody wasn't anybody walking. But I could yell across the street. It's about the width of this room here. And I don't know why. I just had a flash of genius. You always try to find some starting point when you're preaching on the street, something that connects them to something, you know. And I just had this flash of genius. I thought it was. 28-year-old preacher. Stand out on the streets. Got, what I did was I armed all of my college kids with tracks, gospel tracks, and scattered them all through the crowd. I had about 15 or 20 people with me, and there's about 70 others standing over there in the line. And I scattered them all through the crowd, and I told them, now I'm going to preach, and when I get to the invitation part about receiving Jesus, that's when you start talking to people, okay? And I'll tell them you're there to, to help them. So I go across the street, and I stand up there and said, ladies and gentlemen, can I have your attention, please? I'm here to entertain you while you're waiting in line. But I have news for you. Most of you are standing in line to get a ticket to go into that haunted house. I want you to know you already have a ticket to the greatest haunted house of the universe. <laughs> the Bible calls it hell. <laughs> I thought it was a good opening line. <laughs> Fortunately, this one has a back door. They'll take you in and out again. But the one that you already have a ticket for has no back door. There's no way out. You must find a way out before you go in. And I'm here to tell you about the way out. And as I'm preaching, before I get to tell them about Jesus, a police officer comes across the street. Not one of those big muscled up guys like James over here. One of those city cops with a belly out to here, you know. I don't know how he's going to find his gun. He can't reach around that belly of his, you know, to find it. But he comes over there, walking across the street, walks right up to me. And I'm preaching away. I kind of glance out of my eye. I see him, you know, and I'm just preaching away. Now, listen, I've always taught my young people to be, to be courteous and, and respectful of the law. They were on our side. We're not the criminals, you know. They're on our side, I was, and I got young people watching how I'm acting with this, with this police officer. Oh, Jesus, here we go. <laughs> Preaching away, using my rights as an American citizen. And uh, he comes up, he says, hey, hey, excuse me? I I'm preaching. He says, yeah, I know, you're going to have to stop that. I said, I am? Why? 
He said, because you're disturbing the peace. I said, you got a complaint? Uh, yeah. I said, who complained? Some of these homeowners complain? He said, no. I said, you got it in writing, sir? You know that it needs to be in writing. He said, I had a complaint from two people in the crowd. I said, what? I said, you know that's not right. You know and I both know that's not right. And I'm not shouting where they can all hear me. We're just having this little quiet. I said, you know. He put his hand on his gun. He said, I can make you stop. I said, I know you can. But it's not going to be right when you do it. I was going to have his job, his badge, his, I was going to dig up some of his relatives and sue all of them. <laughs> He's just trying to be a bully, you know, because two guys in the crowd didn't like what I was doing. And I was just stood there looking at him. About that time, a Baptist guy. Everybody say, God bless the Baptist. A Baptist guy came running across the street, got right up in the police officer's face. He said, what's the matter? Can't a man preach the gospel on the streets of America? What is this, communist Russia? Why are you harassing the man? Police brutality started saying all kinds of stuff. And the cops just backing up saying, no, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Wait a minute. He said, I had a complaint from people in the crowd. And this Baptist guy says, what are you talking about? I'm part of the crowd. And he turns, the Baptist guy. Everybody say, God bless the Baptist. Amen. We already did that, didn't we? He turns around and looks at the crowd and says, how many of you think you ought to let the preacher preach? Now remember, I've got about 20 college students over there in that crowd. And they all shout out, let him preach! <laughs> and the cop went just like this. I'm telling you with my hand up. He went just like this and walked away. I finished my message. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Next day, I made the front page of the San Angelo Standard Times. <laughs> I'm telling you with my hand up, though, this story has, this story has several weird t- p- moments in it. Somebody brought it to me. Get the paper. I didn't take the paper. They said, get the paper. You're on the front page. And there's a little story on the front page. She misspelled my name. I think it was apparently because a reporter came up to me and asked me, you know, she wanted the story. So I interviewed with her, tried to win her to Jesus. But then... That front page paper, the first time I ever made the front page of the newspaper. She misspelled my name. I think it was because of the title of my sermon. She called me John Heller. <laughs> John Heller. I don't want to be known for preaching hell. I was trying to preach, don't go to hell. You recall your past victories. That's one of my victories. My, my, my college group won a whole bunch of people to Jesus. Won the, won the, won the, uh, the quarterback of the football team, the high school football team to Jesus that night, standing right there. Recall your past victories. That's what, that's what our communion is about. We're recalling our past victory, how Jesus died and rose again the third day, praise God. That's what Passover's about. That's what all the, the feasts of the Jews are about, recalling their past victories, not their failures. They had plenty of failures. They recall their past victories. Amen. We, that's why we celebrate on Sunday and not Saturday and not Friday and not Thursday. You know why? Because we celebrate the day Jesus rose from the dead. Yes. Amen. Look at verse 36. Thy servant slew both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised, everybody say uncircumcised. This uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, seeing he hath defied the armies of the living God uncircumcised Philistines. It's a funny thing to me that this teenage boy recognized this guy didn't have a chance. He kept calling him uncircumcised because he, in calling him uncircumcised, he's saying, he's reminding these 
Israeli soldiers who are all circumcised, he's reminding him that this guy does not have a covenant with God and therefore has no chance of winning this thing. Focused on his covenant. Verse 37, David said, Moreover, the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said unto David, <laughs> Go, and the Lord be with you. Fourth thing I want you to remember is to hold on to your confession of faith. Hold on to your confession of faith. I know your circumstances look dire. I know your enemies and your giants seem so much bigger than you, and indeed they are. But the bigger they are, the harder they fall for those who hold on to their confession. Saul named David, or excuse me, and Saul armed David with his armor, verse 38. And he put on the helmet of brass upon his head. Also he armed him with a coat of mail. Verse 39, and David girded his sword upon his armor, and he tried to go for he had not proved it. He, he had difficulty going. And David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not proved them. And David put them off him, and he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones out of the brook. I preached on this not many months ago, talking about the fivefold ministry. He, and put them in a shepherd's bag, which he had even in a script, and his sling was in his hand, and he drew near to the Philistine. He said, I cannot go with these. Do you know what gave David such, such uh, confidence there? What you may not know is, in chapter 16, just before this chapter, Samuel had come out to Jesse's house to anoint a new king. God and his favor had lifted off Saul because of Saul's repeated rebellion and disobedience. And that last thing of taking of the sheep and all that were supposed to be slaughtered, taking them himself, uh, and letting his men do that, that was just the straw that broke the camel's back for God. He said he's in rebellion, he's going to be, I'm taking, his, taking the kingdom from him. And God sent Samuel out to Jesse's house to anoint a king, and one by one he goes through those eight boys, starting with Eliab, Abinadab, and Shammah, the three oldest that were on this battlefield. There were, there were four more and he's still standing there with that cruise of oil, and all seven of those boys have come by him. He says, Jesse, do you, is this all the sons you have? The Lord hadn't chosen any of these. And Jesse says, almost in an afterthought, oh, well, well yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, I do have David, but I didn't even bring him in to get a bath. He's still out there with the sheep. Samuel said, go get him. They ran out there and brought in David, and he's been with the sheep, y'all. We're going to run the hogs today. You know what we're going to look like after we run the hogs? That's kind of what David looked like when he came up. He got dirt and smudges all over him, hair all in a mess. Come dragging in there for flies, probably twirling around, flying around his head, you know. He's all sweaty and yucky. Stands there with his hair stuck to his face. And God looks at him through Samuel's eyes, and says, Oh, don't you love him? I just love him. I want him. Anoint him. <laughs> really? This one? Look at Eliab. Man, he's gorgeous. This? Yeah, pour that oil on his head. Oh, this is really holy oil. You know what an oil a head looks like when it's that dirty? <laughs> I know that he didn't say any of that, but you can imagine something like that going through his mind. 
David the unlikely, David the uncalled, David the chosen. Doesn't matter what, how religion has treated you. Doesn't matter how you've been picked on, how you've been overlooked, how they've said you, you're disqualified, you've done too much, you, this, this thing you did, that thing you did, you, you can't, you can't, you can't, you'll never measure up. Doesn't matter what they say. All that matters is there's an anointing on your life. Praise God. David said, I don't care if I'm not able to handle this sword and spear. And especially, I can almost see Saul's helmet just spinning on him, you know. It was just way too big. He said, I can't do this. I think David knew he could beat that giant with or without any weaponry because David was saying, without saying it, he was saying, I don't need your armor, Saul. I already have your anointing. Learn to trust the anointing that's in you. He said, well, I don't know what to do. Pray in the Spirit. Stir the anointing that's on the inside of you by praying in the Spirit. You pray in the Spirit for a New Testament believer. David, David didn't have that access to the, to the anointing. He had to have a special anointing. You have the anointing that abides in you. 1 John 2, 27 says the Spirit of God is in you. Praise God. Learn to trust the power of the Holy Ghost that's on the inside of you. Amen. You're going to see your giants fall. Amen. Big giants can't stand when the people of God know they have the Spirit of God in them. Learn to trust the anointing. Learn to trust that inner voice that talks to you. Your giants don't know that voice. They don't know what God's talking to you about. They're not in, the, they're not in it. And you always have the element of surprise because God's going to speak to you things through the anointing that the devil doesn't have, a, doesn't have a clue of. Just when you think you're going down, the anointing will kick in if you'll trust it. Trust the power of the Spirit of God in your life. He's there not lying dormant, but laying inside your heart, standing, if you're sitting inside your heart, resident inside your heart, ready for you to access that anointing to bring down your giants. Amen. Let's bow our heads and pray. Thank you, Father, for this opportunity that you've given us here to hear about the giants that are falling all around us. Glory to God. How we can overcome all the challenges of life. Thank you, Lord, for giving us wisdom through the life of David. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father, that great David's greater son, Jesus, is seated at the right hand of the throne, who is the eternal king of glory on our behalf. And that when we use his name, as David said, in the name of the Lord God Almighty, this uncircumcised Philistine shall come down. When we use the name of Jesus, it's greater than the power that was in David's voice that day to bring down an overwhelming, an overwhelming enemy. I thank you, Lord, that this day, everyone in this room has the power within them. Those that have been born again have the power within them to bring down the obstacles that are in their way. The obstacles of debt, the obstacles of sickness and disease, the obstacles of broken relationships, that these here have the power within them to overcome. Even when those speak against them, those who, who hate them speak against them, that the Word of God still speaks in their favor. Glory to God. Amen. The God of miracles is alive and well in His people today. And I thank you for that, my Father. I ask in Jesus' name that you'll touch every heart here to receive this message today as good seed into good soil. Now with your heads bowed for a moment, I want to speak to those who are here in this place today 
who say, I need to live forever. I want to live forever. I want Jesus in my life. I'm, I'm not sure that I'm saved, but I want to be. I've heard about this wonderful Savior you've talked about. I've heard about the grace of God. But I want to make sure today, give my heart to Jesus. If that's you, I just want you to raise your hand. I want to pray for you. It's your action of faith to say, that's me. I, I want to make right with God. I want to be born again today. I want to know that I'm going to heaven. We would be remiss if we did not give you this invitation, this opportunity. All right. God bless you. God bless you. Praise the Lord. Let's stand up on our feet. Amen. You glad you came to church today? Boy, I'm glad you came. Hallelujah. Amen. Miss Ann, I want you to come up here and make ready to pray for the people if they need prayer today. The Bible says, if any sick among you, let them call for the elders of the church, and they'll anoint them with oil, and the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord will raise them up. We like to make that available to you every Sunday, because there's always devils out there attacking, and we know it. And if you need prayer this, today, come. Miss Ann's going to lay her hands on you and believe God with you for, for your total recovery. Hallelujah. And whatever other needs you may have, we're here to bless you and minister to you. Father, we thank you for your goodness. Thank you that you blessed us in our coming in. And I thank you now, God, that you bless us, our Father, in our going out. Thank you that you made us the head and not the tail above and not beneath first, not last. Victors, no longer victims. Thank you, Lord, that though their enemies come out of them in one direction, they'll just have to flee in seven. Because we're blessed in the city, blessed in the field, blessed in our basket, blessed in the storehouse, and everything our hand touches prospers. I thank you, Father, that you caused the mountains and the hills to break forth with singing and the trees of the field to clap their hands as the people of God. God, go forth with joy in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Praise God. God bless you, folks. Hallelujah.